On Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of the Lenten season, many churches have a service. And in this service, the priest or the minister will rub ashes on your forehead in the sign of a cross. And as they do it, they will say to you, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It is a very appropriate and somber note to begin a season of repentance and fasting. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. us of our mortality. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Remember that you are dust, Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. <clears throat> Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Remember that you are dust.
remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Likewise, at Christian burial services, many at least, you will hear similar words. This is from the Book of Common Prayer. We are mortal, formed of the earth, and unto dust, we sh dust, and unto earth we shall return. For so thou didst ordain when thou createst us, saying, <coughs> Dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. All we go down to the dust. Now this is a general reference to God's words that he spoke to Adam after he sinned in the Garden of Eden. He said to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Dust you are. And to dust you will return. And right about now, some of you are thinking, does David know this is Easter? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a strange way to start off an Easter sermon. Ashes and dust and funerals and mortality and references to God and the seeming curse of mankind. And then I started with a very discouraging film clip, Despair and Die. The witch says to Aslan as she plunges a knife into it. But maybe it's not so strange. You see, in the final analysis, this whole idea of ashes to ashes and dust to dust may contain the very essence, the very mystery, or as C.S. Lewis calls it, the deeper magic of Easter, of resurrection. I know on the surface... All of this seems to speak of finality and end. It seems so much a witness to the futility of man. We're born, we live a minute, we die. But maybe that is because we have never considered the possibility that allowing us to return to dust may have been the first great act of salvific or saving grace from God to us. Let me explain. When these events in chapter 3 of Genesis, following the fall of man, are read, sometimes they are within the restraints of a very disjointed understanding of God and a disconnected contextual reading that can leave us with feelings of despair and finality. See, when God is understood in a disconnected way, as both a hater and a lover of mankind, almost as though he's a tortured soul that can't figure out if he loves us or he hates us, then we can read things like this, framed in God's supposed hatred for us and come to one conclusion. 
Likewise, when we read these passages in a vacuum, with no connection to the greater story of Scripture, the same thing can happen. We can be left with feelings of that despair and finality instead of hope and eternity. But what if we free them from a disjointed and disconnected understanding of God? What if we read them within the context of the greater story of Scripture? The overriding story of Scripture is that God is a lover of mankind. An unconditional, relentless, full of grace lover of mankind. And this has nothing to do with us. Good or bad, right or wrong, beautiful or ugly, kind or mean, God loves us because He is love. He chooses to love us. He created us to love us. St. John captured it brilliantly when he said God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent this one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, St. Paul develops it for us. If God is love, then God never fails. And in Romans 5.8, Paul is very clear. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our vernacular, while we did not love God... He still loved us and died for us. Okay, Paul goes further. For I am convinced that nothing in the entire universe, that's my paraphrase, can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. St. Peter, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Love. The ancient prophet, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Everlasting. It has no beginning and it has no end. God loves us. In Jesus Christ, God in the flesh himself, very clear, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Now I'm aware... There are plenty other metaphors and stories throughout the Bible, no doubt, given to us to help us better understand the human story and God's action in it, that do not always at first read suggest a loving God. I understand that. But, but, if this is the pinnacle of God's revelation to us about who he is and what he is like. And I believe it is. God in the flesh, first of all, is the most accessible metaphor God could have given us about himself, for we are flesh. So how better to access who he is than taking on flesh, right? Second of all, he by his own admittance died for us because he loves us. Therefore, this is the pinnacle of God's revelation to us. He died for us because he loves us. So then, we are probably much closer to the truth of any given biblical text when we are reading it 
with a uniform understanding of God as a lover of mankind, and within the context of the greater story of God, that God always acts to save us because he loves us. So, here in this text, when approached that way, we may become able to come to a different understanding. One filled with much beauty and much truth, and instead of a conclusion of despair and finality. I think the conclusion we can come to in this text here is all about Easter. And this was a connection that was actually made for me recently at one of the many funerals I attended this past (coughs) year. And there have been so many funerals this past year. Even in this little community, hasn't it been unbelievable? We have lost so much. Marilyn has lost her mom, and this week she lost her grandma. Matt buried his grandmother and grandfather within three weeks of each other, right, Matt? Christy, you buried your brother-in-law. Jill buried her grandpa. Annette buried her brother. And on it goes. And we've all buried friends this year. (coughs) So I was sitting at this funeral, and I was listening intently to this young priest. He was dynamic. He was passionate. He loved the Lord. He loved the family of the man he was burying. And he referenced this dust-to-dust imagery outside of the traditional burial reading and in the context of God's great love. And as soon as he said it, I knew God was giving me the seeds to this year's Easter sermon. I knew it. Because I started to think about all of us here that have buried people this year. See, what does God do with dust? Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. He breathed life into it. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. God knew at this point in our story, we were separated from him. And his love for us could not tolerate that. And so acting as any loving parent would, when there is imminent danger to their children, he acted swiftly and decisively. And he announces that we will return to dust, and then to ensure that happens, He kicks us out of the Garden of Eden. And the Lord God said, The man was now become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken after he drove the man out. He placed on the east side of the Garden of of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is pure love. Had we eaten from that tree in our fallen state, we would have been eternally damned. Immortal, but separate from God. But he knew there would be another tree of life one day from which we could all eat and live truly forever 
with God. Yes, this is an angry, raging God. He's angry and raging so he can protect us, whom he loves, from eternal damnation, not condemning us to it. Allowing us to return to grace, to dust, is a saving grace. And Easter is exactly why it is a saving grace. Christ rose from the dead, and Scripture's explanation of that event is so much bigger than just one man coming back to life after dying. Scripture says it is the definitive end of death. Paul, writing to Timothy, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The writer to the Hebrews, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The great prophet, the Lord will swallow up death forever. A minor prophet, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. St. John again, quoting Christ, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And from our text this morning, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Easter is not just about celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. It's about celebrating the resurrection of us all. Obviously, these bodies we now have died. But that is where returning to dust comes in. Being remade into imperishable bodies. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And this is why Paul tells us we don't need to be afraid to live. That's my paraphrase. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Don't be afraid to live. Don't. <coughs> Paul knows death seems to still be in control. When he wrote this, Christians were being killed every day. Paul knows evil continues to carry on seemingly unabated across our world and in our own lives. <coughs> but that doesn't mean death hasn't been destroyed yet. That's where faith comes in. You know when you get sick and you go to the doctor and they decide it's a bacterial infection and you're like, yes because they have drugs for that. If it was a virus, you're like, oh, that's horrible, I gotta live. You have a bacterial infection, hopefully that they still have drugs cure, they give it to you. You take one. You're probably not ready to go dancing if you're really sick. But what has happened? The bacteria's been defeated. 
And it's just a matter of time until you feel great again. We're Christians. If we believe in the resurrection, that's what we believe has happened. <coughs> Death has been killed, defeated. We don't see it yet, but we believe it. We can face our pain and our sufferings and our losses with real anguish. And yes, with our own authentic cries of, my God, why? Those are good things. But we can face them without despair, without hopelessness, without retreat. Because no matter how dark it gets, it's not the end of the story. Death lost. Life We can live into life. We don't need to live into death. As Christopher Rodkey says, Easter gives us the opportunity to step out of our tombs and to help others in coming into the light outside of their tombs. We must proclaim that the resurrection of Christ is our Easter too. I think this is what Paul is getting at here. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. What's the work of the Lord? I think loving God and loving others. No matter what the circumstances of our life are. No matter how bad our lives might be at any given moment, it's reaching out in love of others. Rodkey again. Because we do not live in death, we can meet our friends who are determined to live in their caves or tombs and invite them outside of their caves and meet their needs. <coughs> we can seek those who are poor and mourning and downtrodden, and we can feed them, we can comfort them, and we can work to dismantle the powers that hold them in chains. And in doing so, we teach and proclaim that now it is spring, a new creation is blossoming all around us, and there is no longer any need to stay indoors in our caves and hibernate. As a resurrection people, it's our job to stand by the tomb and proclaim that we have seen the resurrection. Remember, Easter does not miraculously take away all our pain and our sufferings and our sorrow. And that's brothers not coming back to life. Marilyn still has to go to a funeral tomorrow and Tuesday for her grandma. But what Easter does is gives us a whole new perspective and a courage and strength to live into life. The current Archbishop of Canterbury says, Easter is offered to the world not to guarantee a permanently happy society in the sense of society, for free from tension, pain, or disappointment, but to affirm that whatever happens in the unpredictable world, there is a deeper level of reality, a world within the world, where love and reconciliation and resurrection are ceaselessly at work, a world with which contact can be made so that we are able to live honestly and courageously with the challenges constantly thrown. 
And as we embrace Easter living, as we live into resurrection, we become the harbingers, the heralds of Easter living. That is the work of God. To love others by planting seeds of hope beneath the darkness. E.B. White, the great American author, Charlotte's White. His wife was a Christian. And when she died, he wrote this about her. Catherine was a member of that resurrection <coughs> conspiracy, the company of those who plant seeds of hope under dark sky. That resurrection conspiracy. I love that. To believe in Easter is to be a member of that society. We are mortal, formed of the earth, and unto earth we shall return. For so thou didst ordain when thou created us, saying, Dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. All we go down to the dust. Here is the rest of that burial reading. Yet even at the grave we make our song. Alleluia, alleluia. Today is Easter Sunday, but every day is Easter Sunday. So let's truly remember today and all days. We are dust, and to dust we shall return. And that is the greatest hope of all, for in God's hands, dust 